growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Our past tense experiences should be teaching us and preparing us for present tense crisis. Have you ever known someone that kept making the same mistake over and over again? Well, today on Crosswalk, we're going to look at an action event in the book of Mark where the disciples of Jesus seem to keep making the same mistake over and over again. But as you'll hear today, Jesus cares too much for them and us to not help us get the truth He wants us to know. Spiritual amnesia, the inability to remember what God has done for you in past experiences so that it has its effect in your present circumstances. Hello and welcome to this week's Crosswalk. In our series through the book of Mark entitled Jesus, the Real Action Hero, we come today to an event that may seem hard to believe. I'm not talking about the miracles that Jesus is going to do, but rather the lack of faith that his disciples seem to have. Back in chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed thousands of people with just a few loaves of bread and a few fish. The disciples seemed to fail to believe that Jesus could handle the needs of a crowd that large. Well, today we dive into chapter 8 and find Jesus again feeding a large number of people with only a few loaves and fish. Sadly, we again find the disciples focused more on the problem than on the problem solver. It seems hard for us to believe that they wouldn't have trusted Jesus to meet the need, especially since they had seen Him do the same thing just a few months before. But as you'll hear Pastor Clay say today, modern followers of Jesus tend to do the same thing. And as we're going to see, Jesus is determined to help His disciples learn what they need to know if they are going to be His followers. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. Cindy and I went to uh, see the new Tom Cruise flick this weekend, a new science fiction thriller, The Edge of Tomorrow. Anybody see it this weekend? Yeah, a few people. Went to see it this this weekend. I I don't want to give too much away, you know, in case some of you might decide you want to go see it. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. That's a, no, no uh, I'm not going to give too much away. But you get this from the trailer, if you've seen the trailers or even commercials on TV or whatever. Uh, the basic plot, the basic scenario is uh, Tom Cruise's character is uh, through, through no circumstance, no, through no help of his own, this, he ends up in this battle, first day of battle, and he gets killed in the first day of battle. So it's a really short film. <laughs> he... He gets, he gets killed in the first day of battle, but um, through, some kind of, through some weird circumstances, he ends up coming back to life and living that same day over and over again. He was living the same day over and over and over again. Uh, it's it's, it's kind of like a sci-fi uh, Groundhog Day. It's, it's kinda, you can think of it uh, that way. Uh, but here's the thing about him coming back and living the same day over and over again. He brings with him all of the memories of the experiences of the previous days. So in other words, each day he comes back to life. He gets killed, he comes back to life, he gets killed, he comes back. Each time he comes back, he comes back with what he has learned from his previous experiences. And he is able to take that. And so now as he progresses 
uh, day after day after day, as, as it continues to progress, he's learning how to shoot. He learns how to duck. He learns how to get out of the way. He learns when this is going to happen and how that's going to happen. In other words, his past experiences are teaching him to deal with a present tense crisis. It's an interesting movie. And that's a very biblical truth right there. Not the movie, but the fact that our past tense experiences should be teaching us and preparing us for present tense crisis. Let's see if we can uh, talk a little about that this morning. If you have your Bible with you, open it to Mark chapter 8. We're in Mark chapter 8, about halfway through uh, the book of Mark. Well, I guess when we get about halfway through chapter 8, we'll be about halfway through, uh, technically halfway through the, uh, the book of Mark. We're taking our time walking through the book of Mark in 2014. And um, I doubt if this is going to happen, but as, as filling in my calendar, my preaching calendar the other day, and uh, if everything fell right into place just right, we would finish uh, the, uh, the end of Mark chapter 16 on the last Sunday in 2014. So that's probably never going to happen, but, uh, but we're working on it, working towards that goal. And as I've said before, I don't think anybody ought to, had a, ought to rush through the Word of God anyway. Um, I think we ought to be, be learning from it. We're in Mark chapter 8. Uh, I, you, if you happen to use an outline, if you'd like to use an outline, there is one of those on the back of your uh, information sheet that you were given on your way in this morning. Please feel free to use that if you'd like to. Uh, if you don't, if that's not your kind of deal, that's fine too. I can't promise you we'll get all the way through that outline today. We may have to break it, but, but we'll see because we're going we're gonna to worship our God and celebrate Him and His power to change lives through baptismal waters uh, today. And, uh, and so we want to make sure that we have time for that as well. I'm going to share a, a few ideas with you uh, today about things that we should be learning and about past events and, and all that kind of stuff. And let's, let's start with this idea this morning. Here's what I want to start with. A short-term memory results in a short-sighted faith. In those days, when, they were, when there was again a large crowd... And they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples and said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. Does this sound familiar to some of you if you've been with us through the book of Mark? Yeah, this just happened a couple of chapters ago. If I send them away hungry to their homes, They will faint on the way. And some of them have come uh, from a great distance. And his disciples answered him. Ready? Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Oh, where are we going to get the bread? And he was asking, verse 5, and he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve them. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large baskets full of what was left over of the broken people pieces. About 4,000 were there. And he sent them away. This is what Mark refers to as the feeding of the 4,000. 
Uh, as I just said, it should sound familiar to you because back in chapter 6 we had what Mark referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Although Matthew, in his account, remember the gospel writers uh, share many of their stories. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they'll each have different stories. But many times uh, the gospel writers, especially what is known as the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, they will share the same story but from each of their own perspective. Matthew tells us that besides 5,000 men, that that, didn't, that number did not include the women and the children. So as we said back in chapter 6, uh, upwards of 8, 10, possibly as many as 12,000 people were fed in that uh, miracle feeding. Uh, here in uh, Mark chapter 8, again, it's the feeding of the 4,000. And again, Matthew tells us that does not include the women and the children. So again, we're looking at, you know, 6, 7, 8, uh, 9,000 people being fed. And again, the disciples just don't seem to get it. They just don't seem to grasp what is going on. They say, uh, well, uh, wow, where are we going to find all this bread? Back in chapter 6, their concern was that they didn't have enough money to, to buy enough bread. He said, you know, with... With a, hundred, a year's worth of wages, basically, we, we wouldn't have enough to buy all, all, all the bread that we need. Here, in Mark chapter 8, their concern is just whether they just flat be enough or not. Because they're in a very desolate place. They're in a, uh, in a wilderness area, and there's just no bread around. And, <laughs> and you know, I can just see it. They're just kind of all gathered around. There's Jesus in the middle, and they're like, well, where, where are we going to get the bread to feed all these people? Again, as I said a couple weeks ago, Jesus... Because there seemed to be this short-term memory of the events that transpired. You know what I've discovered? Uh, I have a little statement I want to bring up to you on the, on the screen. I've discovered that oftentimes, no matter how many times we've seen him stand and deliver, we sit and wonder if God is going to come through for us this time. That, that's, that's what I have discovered uh, oftentimes in people's lives. Because here's what I think. I don't think that the disciples forgot literally. I don't think they literally forgot what Jesus did. Probably just a, it's probably just been a couple of months, just a few months from chapter 6 to chapter 8 uh, at the most. I don't think it would be possible for them to literally forget. What I think happened was they didn't forget literally. They forgot practically. Do you understand what I mean by that? They forgot practically. In other words, they were not taking past experiences and learning from them to deal with a present crisis. Y'all was wondering how I was going to tie that whole Tom Cruise thing in, weren't you? They, they weren't taking... Because, right, they were there a few months ago. Oh, by the way, did you notice that this time he, he's feeding... We assume, I mean, it appears he's feeding less people with more... I mean, still not much. He's, about, he's got a happy meal about what he's got. But, but this is, in the technical sense, it's maybe... Less of a miracle. I mean, y- y'all know what I mean by that. Last time he had five loaves and two fish. This time he's got seven loaves and a few fish. Last time he fed 5,000 plus women. This time it's 4,000. So in a sense, it's, it's, it's less. But I don't know. Where, where, where's he going to get this from? It is what, what I think of as spiritual amnesia. The inability 
to remember what God has done for you in past experiences so that it has an, its effect in your present circumstance, in your present crisis. That's, what I, what I, that's what's supposed to happen. Of course, the classic uh, Old Testament example of this, nation of Israel, right? If, you, if you've read any of the Old Testament, any of the history of the nation of Israel, you know this is the deal. They're in, they're in slavery, they're in captivity in Egypt for four, count them, 400 years. God sends Moses down. Moses says to the people and to Pharaoh, uh, God says, let my people go. We're bringing them back out. He promised a long time ago that he was going to take them to a land uh, that was specifically for them, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's time to let them go. Pharaoh says no. God says okay. God sends these plagues, right? You know, if you've read about it or you've, you've seen the movie, you know, you've <laughs> all, you, all the, you know, all the stuff that happens and locusts come and frogs come and sores come and, and uh, the Nile and the waters turned into blood and all these different miraculous things. And so, and so finally, uh, Pharaoh uh, relents and he says, all right, he says, get them out of here. Go, go, just go after the firstborn is killed. He says, take them, go. And they leave and they don't go very far and they get down to the Red Sea and they come right to the edge of the Red Sea and Pharaoh's heart is hardened again and Pharaoh comes riding over the hill with his entire Egyptian army, right? Y'all have read the story maybe, right? Or seen the movie, one or the other. Comes riding over the hill in the entire Egyptian army and, and what, are the, what is the Israelite, what is their reaction? Oh my, oh, oh, oh. Is this what you brought us out here for? Is this what you brought us out of Egypt for? We should have just stayed in Egypt where at least we'd be alive. You brought us out here to be killed by the Egyptian. Right? That's, that's their reaction. Okay, maybe I was kind of overplaying that part a little, but that's basically, that's what, that was their reaction. Hey, and listen, this is really interesting. Uh, I was telling the C2 Kids workers this morning, uh, there's this scene, in, in the middle of that scene, Moses kind of, Maybe not freaks out, but Moses, like, he goes to God. He's, oh, well, what are we going to do? And God says to Moses, this will kill you. God says, what are you talking to me for? What, what are you praying to me for? Move. Get going. And, of course, the, the sea parts, and that, that's kind of spectacular. You know, you don't see that every day. The sea parts, and they, and they cross through on dry land. Right? Y'all heard that story? By the way, uh, liberal, uh, liberal scholars for years tried to explain this miracle away by saying that it was a mistranslation, uh, that it wasn't the Red Sea that they crossed, it was actually the Reed Sea. It's a very shallow end of, and there's a bunch of, you know, uh, what are those things growing in the water? <laughs> yeah, those growing, and it was, it, was just, it was real shallow. It's like ankle or, you know, deep, and they, that's, they just crossed over like that. The pastor I grew up under, Pastor Wilby, you say, well, if that's the case, that's an even greater miracle because God uh, drowned the entire Egyptian army in, in water that was ankle deep. So uh, either way, it was, it was a miracle. But the, the, the waters part, and they go through on dry ground, right? Right? I mean, that's spectacular. God, woo-hoo, and, and the people do, they praise him, God, woo-hoo, till they get thirsty. They get thirsty. Oh, I'm so, I'm so thirsty. Oh my God. Is that why you brought us out here? At least we had water in Egypt. We're going to die of thirst out here in the wilderness. Water comes out of a rock. God just, Moses strike the rock. Water comes out, right? And it's like, whoa, God, God's amazing. That's awesome. This water is so good. Until they get hungry. Right? Oh, I'm so famished. At least we had onions back in, in, in Egypt we could eat. At least we had this. Oh, well, no, oh, was it? Right? It's this, it's this spiritual amnesia. The Israelites had it in the Old Testament. 
the disciples had in the New Testament, boy, I sure am glad we don't suffer from that nowadays. Right? No. No, we do. I'm telling you, we do. At times I've talked to people uh, that may be in the midst of a crisis in their life. And, 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 I, and one of the things I, I tend to try and do is remind people of something God has done in the past. Now, it may be scriptural, it may be something biblical, but, but if I know things in their life, I'll try and bring up things. Hey, do you remember that time when you were in this situation and, and it looked like there's no way out? And this kind of, you remember how God came through there? And do you remember this when God stepped through and did that? And do you remember that? I try and remind them of some of those things. And when I do that, uh, and this is what has happened at times. Invariably, here it comes. Yeah, but. Listen, no, no disrespect. But no, no but. Leave your big but out of it. Okay? It's no but. It is spiritual amnesia. And you've got to recognize that the God who did it then is the God who can do it now. And if you have a short-term memory, you're going to have a short-sighted faith. So here's, real quick, let me tell you, here's what I, steps you out of, Well, let me, give you, let me give you a verse first, just uh, Psalm 103. Let me give you Psalm 103, verse 1 and 2. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart. I will praise His holy name. Watch this. I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am Praise the Lord and connect it to that then is this idea. May I never forget the good things he does for me. It is choosing to remember. Do you understand? Which then brings the first step I, I would say for you, that we need to do. Recount. And I, and I started to put reflect. You know, we're doing the whole R thing today. But uh, I, I did, I didn't, I, there's a distinction for me between reflect and recount. I don't want you to just reflect on what God has done in the past. I want you to recount it. I want you to name it. Uh, number it. I want you to recount. Think about what he has done in your life. Now you look at scripture too and you can see all those accounts. Sure, absolutely. But what about your own life? If you really sit down and think about those things that he has done. By the way, uh, in, in, in the time with the C2 kids this morning, uh, David McDonald brought up a, a great point which I had thought of earlier and had forgotten. And this is just a good time for me to say to you that, uh, that if you don't do this, that maybe uh, you might consider doing what some people refer to as a prayer journal, um, keeping a prayer journal. Uh, it's just in your time with God as you're talking with God and you're praying to God and you're asking. Writing things down uh, is a great way to, to be able to look back and see, wow, I remember when, when it looked like there was no hope in this situation. And now look where I am today. Look what God did. Uh, it, it's recounting uh, what uh, he has done. Second, I would say this. Rejoice. Celebrate what he has done. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just, God, you're awesome. I, you know, I, I remember how I felt back then. I remember how anxious I was. I remember how fearful I was. I remember this. I remember that. And God, you came through. And God, I just wanted, I just want to rejoice. I just want to celebrate you and celebrate in what you have done for me. I want to acknowledge it. I want to say that you're the God that brought me through that. Now, can I say this? I think that honors God when we do that. But I also think it helps us to, to just... Do you, don't you feel better when you just rejoice, when you just celebrate? That's what we've done in here today. We've just celebrated and worshiped the goodness of our God. And, and it just, it, it can lift a heavy load. It can, it just, it's just good. I, I rejoice. A third, I would say replace. You have to concentrate on what he will do. Well, what if I don't, I don't know how he, what he'll do. I don't know how he'll answer my prayers. I don't know how, that doesn't matter. You know he will do, Right? You know he is a good God. You know that he loves you infinitely and intimately. And so you know he's going to respond to whatever is going on in your life. You need to replace 
where your mind naturally goes. Everybody knows where your mind naturally goes? Right? Oh, 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 oh. Yeah, woe is me. What are we going to do? How, uh, uh, what, what if I don't get this job? What, what if they don't love me? What if, you know, what, whatever. All these things. Our mind, listen, you're not unusual. You're not, don't beat yourself up. Over. That's where your mind, your natural mind will want to go. You have to choose to concentrate on what God will do. You have to replace where those thoughts naturally want to go. You have to come over here and say, no, no. I don't know what God is going to do, but I know who God is, and I will focus on Him. I will believe in Him. I will, I will, I will look to what God will do. You have to replace where your mind was going or wants to go uh, with, with where it needs to go. And then fourth, I would say this, respond. Thank Him for what He will do. I mean, thank Him in advance. There is no greater demonstration of faith than to thank God in advance for what he's going to do. Again, I don't know what he's going to do. It doesn't matter. It's going to be good. It may not feel good. You may not understand. You may not know everything that's going on. But that doesn't matter. Because he is who he is. And he will do what exactly he knows is best in every single situation in your life. You have to respond. You have to thank Him for what He's doing. Sure, should we thank Him? Should we celebrate what God has done in the past? Absolutely. That's what Psalm 103 exactly was saying it. But what a tremendous demonstration of faith when we can thank Him for what He hasn't even done yet. Because we can say, God, I believe in You. God, I know You will come through. God, I trust You. Short-term memory results in a short-sighted faith. Here's the second idea this morning. A hard-hearted approach receives a hard-line response. Hey, hey, in case you don't know it, this is God we're talking about. This is not some political politician trying to make everybody happy on every side. Or, All right. <laughs> Be quiet. Let's go. Verse 10. Look at verse 10 through 13. And immediately... He entered the boat with the disciples and came to the district of Dalmuthia. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him. Susie lands, right? Here they come. How do they? I don't know. They began to argue with him. Watch this. That, 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 that gives you an idea of their spirit, their whole intention. They began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. Well, well, wait a minute. There's some people there. They're waiting for a sign. Surely Jesus wants to save them. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, come at Jesus as soon as he hits the ground and they come at him to argue with him. Notice notice specifically that it says um, in verse 11, the Pharisees came out and argued with him, watch this, seeking from him a sign from heaven. Well, now let me see. He's cast out demons multiple times. He's made the, the paralyzed, the lame, to walk. On several occasions. He's restored sight to the, pl- to the blind. He's given hearing and speech back to those in need. He's fed thousands with not much more than a happy meal twice. And he's raised the dead. 
But that's not good enough. That's, that's not, no, no, not for these guys. We want a sign from heaven. We want the fire to fall. We want the sky to open up. We want to see something dramatic. We want to see something. Listen here, this is important. You know what they really want it? You know what they really demand it? This is it. Now, you think about wherever you are in your relationship with God or people that you know outside. You know what, you know what they were really demanding? They were demanding that God come to them on their terms. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Hear me. If you're watching or listening to this or you're here live, listen to me. On the authority of God's word, I promise you that is never going to happen. God is God and God is on his throne and God has decreed and determined how each and any and every person can come into relationship. And by the way, I genuinely believe that. I genuinely believe that God desires for persons, for all persons to come into a relationship with him. But understand this, God will not bend the rules. God will not change his mind. God will not, will not deviate from, from what he has decreed and how salvation is to be obtained. Now, listen to me. I am a firm believer that God will meet people where they are in their sin, in their lostness, in the depth of their despair. God will meet people where they are, just like the lady that we saw in the video uh, today. God will meet them where they are, but it always requires that they respond, that they come to him on his terms. And his terms are that we humble ourselves, that we, ad- that we admit freely, I am a sinner, I am separated from you, you are holy, I am not. And I, by faith, believe that your son, Jesus Christ, is the only, the one and only substitutionary atonement for my sins and the only way I will ever be forgiven or have access to heaven. It's just, it's the truth. In the, uh, in the book of John, uh, we find this, John chapter 8. Therefore, I said to you, Jesus, that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Well, that's, that's not very flexible, Jesus. You're not being very flexible there. No, there, there is no flexibility on that. And listen, once again, we see what this really comes down to, what we see is the condition of the heart. That's really what this is about, the condition of the heart. I know this has come up week after week after week as we've gone through Mark, you see this. The Pharisees' hearts were hard. Listen, that's why Jesus doesn't give them a sign. Because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Do you understand? It doesn't, it doesn't matter what he does. It doesn't matter what sign he gave them. It wouldn't change their mind. Their hearts were hard to that. I've, I've told this story before uh, about a guy I used to play tennis with when we lived in Tennessee. And uh, I was talking to him about Jesus one day and during a break in between sets and... and uh, I don't, whatever all I shared with him, and he's just like, ah, I don't, I don't, I don't really believe all that. I don't really believe in God. And we were sitting on a bench, on, you know, there on the tennis court, and he said, if God is real, he can just make that tennis ball just jump up off the floor, uh, off the court, and, and just land right here on the bench or in my hand, whatever he said. Now, could God do that? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, it would not have changed that man at that point because it's the heart. It's the heart issue. Do you understand? And so I ask you this morning, always evaluate your heart. Check your heart. See where you are. Say, am I genuinely open to what God would show me, what God will do in my life? Or do I tend to just say, oh, well, give me another sign. Give me something else. Help me know this. Let me see. All right, real quick. What time is it? All right, let me give you one more. One more this morning. A slow-to-grasp learner requires a slow-to-pass lesson. Um, verse, beginning in verse 14. All right, so watch the heart. Watch the short-term memory. Now watch this, verse 14. When they came back uh, to the disciples, they saw a large crowd. Wait, that's the wrong chapter. Here we go. Uh, Verse 14. And they had forgotten to take bread. (laughs) 
and did not have uh, more than one loaf in the boat with them. Jesus, all the disciples are in the boat. They forgot to bring bread. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Verse 16, they began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. (laughs) And Jesus, watch this, and Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? That's the second, at least the second time that he's asked them that question. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? They said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? He said to him, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? Uh, this, uh, this teaching that Jesus is giving on, on the leaven uh, of the Pharisees and the Herodians, it has to do with false, false doctrine, false teaching. The religious leaders, Pharisees, we know what they were teaching, you know, keep the rules, keep the regulation, keep the law, and, uh, and you're going to earn your way into heaven. The Herodians, uh, the people that were following Herod, he was, he was the puppet king in Israel at that time, and they believed that he was Israel's answer, and, and all, all of that went with that. Uh, and Jesus says to them, he says, listen, he says, watch out. Watch out for the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and of Herod. Leaven, uh, as probably most of you know, is basically, think of it kind of like yeast. Yeast is leaven, but not all leaven has to be yeast. But anyway, it's an agent that, uh, that gets into the dough and it causes the dough to rise as bacterial things start happening. Y'all, uh, y'all that are cooks know more about that stuff than I do. But, uh, it, but what happens is when the leaven gets into the dough, it infects the entire, the entire batch. It infects everything. Everything is affected by it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, be careful, watch out. If their, their false teaching, their false doctrine will come in and it will infect everything. It will affect the people's lives. It will affect your lives. It will affect how you live. It will affect the decisions you make. Watch out for that. We forgot bread. Right? Jesus gives this lesson and they hear leaven and all they can think of is bread. And they begin this discussion about, quite honestly, I believe this discussion slash argument about who forgot the bread. And, and I, I know this, I'm kind of, this is my baptized imagination, but I can, I can just hear them in the boat. <laughs> who forgot the bread? John. John's the one that claims he loves everybody. Why didn't he bring the bread with him? Well, well Peter, he walks around like he's the Pope or something. Peter should have brought the bread. Well, I told Thomas to bring it. I doubt it. <laughs> Sorry. So they're, ha- they're having they're having this discussion and and listen I don't, I don't again I'm not sure but when Jesus breaks back into this conversation I I I don't think it went like this um uh, excuse me uh, guys uh, I just I'm just curious why why are you discussing um, uh, bread is, is there something that you still don't understand about what I'm no I, I don't I don't believe that's how that went listen this has been building this has been coming he's ar- he already got onto him in chapter 6. He gets onto him again in chapter 7. Now here in chapter 8, they're still not getting it. And it is quite apparent that Jesus thinks that they should be getting this by now. And I'm not saying that Jesus lost it because that would imply that, that he wasn't in control. But Jesus was not happy 
with these guys and the fact that he's trying to teach them some spiritual truth. And so, again, I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus' response goes a little something like this. Oh, myself. Do you still not get this? Do you still not understand what I'm trying to say to you? (sighs) Let's look at it. When I fed the 5,000 with the five loaves, how much leftovers did you pick up? And I can, I'm, just, I'm, tell, I'm telling you, I can see them. They're looking down at their feet. They're just, they're just sitting in the boat, just kind of shuffling their feet. Twelve. twelve. How many? Twelve. Twelve. And when I fed the 4,000 with the seven loaves, how much leftovers did you take up? Seven. How many? Seven. Guys, I'm God. I'm God. Stop focusing on what doesn't matter and pay attention to what really matters. That's what you need to do in your life. And they they weren't getting this lesson. And so listen, if if you're slow to get a lesson, you're probably going to stay in that lesson. Have some of you ever felt like God keeps putting you through the same thing over and over again? Have any of y'all ever felt that way? I, you know, I I don't, I'm not saying, but is it possible that you're just not getting it yet and God keeps taking it? Because, right, he loves you. He's going to keep, He's trying to get you there, so he's going to keep pushing you on this. It's just possible. I'm just asking. When I, when I was growing up, uh, my best friend was Bob Rollerson. Uh, Bob's dad was a doctor in town, so they, they were, you know, they were financially, they were pretty well off. And, uh, and this was in Florida. We grew up in Okeechobee, Florida. They had a lake house over in Lake Placid, uh, which was a little ways away from there, a house around there. And we would spend all day skiing and all night playing ping pong. That's, that's what we would, we would do. But at one point, Bob and his brother Hank we're trying to teach me how to, uh, how to barefoot. And uh, if, you, if, if you're not a skier, you don't know what that is. But barefoot is skiing without any skis. Uh, we would have a slalom ski and we would, we would kick the slalom ski off and, and, and you just ski. Boat has to go a little faster and all that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, they're trying to teach me how to barefoot. And so for whatever reason, uh, every time that I kicked the ski off and I, and I went to put my other heel in the water, as soon as my heel hit the water, I'd let go of the rope. And fall, fall in the water every single time. And I still remember Bob and Hank, you know, the certain boat circle back around, they come back around and they say, what is wrong with you? You've got it. Just hold on to the rope. Jesus may, may not have yelled at it like that, but I'm telling you, Jesus, uh, he's like, what is wrong with you? you? You've got this. You ought to see this. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? Here it is. And we're going to close with this uh, this morning. The two, you know, the, 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 nuances and the and some of the specifics may vary but the two primary lessons that jesus is trying to teach his disciples back then are the two primary lessons that he's still trying to teach us today and that, let's start with this one recognize who i am i'm sure we can't get to the next point we'll get to it next week as we move on and it fits well into that as well but but they they just they had an idea but they didn't they didn't get it yet. You know what I'm saying? They didn't recognize who he was. He says, recognize who I am. Now, think of how handy that would have been for the disciples if they've gotten that a little uh, sooner. You know, we, don't, we don't have any bread. Wait a minute. God is with us. I'm pretty sure that's going to work out okay. We have to recognize, really, not just to recognize who I am. That's what Jesus is trying to do. And then the second idea is this. Realize what really matters. Jesus is trying to teach them a spiritual truth. All they're thinking is, is physical. All they're thinking is material. All they're thinking is this, 
whatever situation, whatever crisis, whatever thing I'm into right now, that's all that they can think of. It is, it is the failure to realize what really matters. Now, I know this is hard for us, folks. When we're in the midst of stuff, it's hard for us to focus on the spiritual instead of the physical. Because we're in that physical, we're in that material, we're in that mess that's going on in our lives. But Jesus is trying to get us to recognize the real lesson here and what really matters. And in the end, and, and this become becomes one of my, my favorite sayings here lately. I have lots of favorite sayings, but this has become one of my favorite sayings. In the end, ladies and gentlemen, it looks like this. All the stuff around us, everything that we tend to think of as important materially is destined for dust. It really is. The money that you have in your pocket, the, the shoes that you wear, the job that you, that you need. I'm not saying we don't need those things, but you need to, just need to put them in the right perspective. They are destined for dust. And you are destined for something greater than that. The disciples' short-term memory caused them to fail to apply their faith in a practical way. By now, they should have had a better understanding of just who Jesus was. As we'll see next week, Jesus is going to continue to push them to understand who Jesus was and why they could trust Him in every situation. What about you? Like the blind man that Jesus healed, is your sight developing slowly? What more do you need to allow God to make you into the follower He has called you to be? We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our everyday lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh. But instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sunday mornings at 1030 at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone who is looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.